Imputed Podcast starts right now. And what is going on, everybody? This is indeed the Asmin and Budic Show. I'm Jake Asmin. He, of course, is Dan Budic. And we're back after a week off from Ithaca College's spring break. And while we were gone, the Islanders played the Rangers. Dan and I met Yankees television broadcaster Michael Kay. And Darrell Rivas re-signed with the New York Jets. We'll get to all that. We'll also talk a little bit about March Madness. We'll give our final four picks. But obviously, Dan, biggest story in the New York area involved our favorite team, the New York Jets. And what they did by bringing back Darrell Rivas was something I said they had to do it. I wasn't sure if Rivas was going to be willing to leave New England, but he's here. The Jets did what they had to do, and Mike McGagan has done everything right as the Jets GM in his first offseason. Jake, he's not only done anything right, everything right, but you know he did everything that John Idzik didn't do. You know, this team had secondary holes a year ago. They weren't addressed. And here, just a week into free agency, you know, just over a week into free agency, what do you got? You got Screen as a corner. You bring back Cromartie. You got Gilchrist from San Diego. And you bring back the big prize in Darrell Revis. And all of a sudden, Jake, the Jets have a secondary. That's the best, arguably the best in the National Football League. You look at this Jets team, and as bad as they were a season ago when they were 4-12 and 12 and you know they started 1-0 believe it or not and they won their last game so from week 2 to week 16 they just won one football game. Oh it was horrendous and they were atrocious they were and their secondary was a big part of it that of course in the starting quarterback position and we'll talk about the move bringing in Fitzpatrick a little bit later but for Woody Johnson to spend the money and bring Darrell Reeves back a guy that should have never been, been gone in the first place some would say he should have been brought back a season ago when he was willing to come back and before he went to the New England and helped the Patriots win a Super Bowl you know what the bottom line is everything John Isaac didn't do you're right, Dan. Mike McGagan has done it, and by bringing back Cromartie and bringing in a Buster Screen and a Gilchrist, the secondary is revamped, and the Jets already have a great front seven led by Muhammad Wilkerson and, of course, Sheldon Richardson. So you got the foundation on defense the Jets have not had in years. And you look at the secondary, it has a chance to be special. This Jets defense has a chance to be special. And you know what? As two big Jet fans, it's nice to see the owner go out there, spend money, make that type of move. And, of course, Brandon Marshall was another big Big move that happened a couple days before that that we didn't get to touch on on this show. I said on the show that the Jets should go after Brandon Marshall, and it turns out they were able to do just that. And to get Brandon Marshall for just a fifth-round pick and re-sign Darrell Revis, who's arguably the most important defensive player in the sport with the way he could change the outcome of games, it's a home run for the Jets so far this offseason, and you got to credit Mike McGagan and credit Woody Johnson because as much, as much slander that he receives on a daily basis from the fans and the media – you know what? They're having a hell of an offseason, and it's nice to see as a Jet fan that this team is showing signs that they want to win in 2015. Not only that, I mean, everyone said, well, the Jets are on the rebuild. Let me tell you something. You, you put out the money, $39 million guaranteed over the next four or five years for Darrell Revis. You're looking to win now. You know, the Jets are in a win-now mode, so to speak, because I understand, you know, there is a hole at quarterback position, but, Jake, you talk about talk about Fitzpatrick. Uh, let's talk about it right now is the fact they did improve at quarterback. Ryan Fitzpatrick is an upgrade over Geno Smith and what they had a year ago, so I think they've improved at every position they needed to. Quarterback, let's see what they do. Draft time coming up. Mariota, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Still out there, obviously. We'll see what they do on draft day or whatever else they do at quarterback. But even Fitzpatrick is an upgrade. You gotta love what the Jets brass has done and 
for Woody Johnson, open up his pockets, pay Darrell Revis what he wanted to, very important to get him back here. And I think without him the last couple of years, you really see how big of a cog he was for this Jack secondary. He's a leader on the defensive side of the ball, and I think he brings up the morale of the entire defense. That's how good Darrell Revis is. They missed him. Two years ago, maybe not as desperately as they missed him a, a year ago, as they were just brutal defensively a year ago in the secondary. I think it's been it's just been an A plus offseason for the Jets so far. Still a lot of work to be done, but you gotta like what you've seen. You gotta love it. And it's just nice to see Woody Johnson spend the money. And you know what? Did Revis come for the money? I don't need to argue whether or not he Who did. Cares? He's in. He, He's back, baby. He, he signed. He signed his contract, and you know what? That's what it comes down to. The Jets had the biggest need in football in their secondary, and they brought in the best possible guy you could get to fill that void and then you re-signed Antonio Cromartie you bring back the duo that played together from 2010 through 2012 that was a move that needed to be made and you know what John Isaac didn't make those moves Mike McGagan has made those moves and that is so important when you have a GM that is competent I've tweeted this a thousand times John Isaac did not make the simple move he tried to outthink himself and outthink the NFL Mike McGagan said we have all this money let's go out there and make some moves and I credit him for bringing in Brandon Marshall Todd Bowles is very familiar with Marshall when he was with the Miami Dolphins as the team's intern head coach. Brandon Marshall can flat out play. And I'll tell you something about Ryan Fitzpatrick as well. If Fitzpatrick can give them 17 touchdowns, only eight interceptions with how good this defense is going to be and how good Chris Ivory could be in that running game and how good those receivers are with Marshall and a Decker and a Curley and a Morrow, there's no reason to me why the Jets cannot be one of those teams that go from 4-12 and 12 to competing for a playoff spot this year. That's the type of offseason well, this team has had. I agree, and I think from the naked eye, you look at a 4-12 and 12 team a year ago and you say, oh, the, the Jets were awful. You know, they're, they're not a team that could compete. But then when you watch game by game. How many games did they how many, lose how in the many closing games, seconds? How many games did their secondary cost them? I think at least four. And how many games did their starting quarterback cost at them? At least three. At least three. At least. So, at least. So you, so you add four, and I'm not saying you all, well, you could, you know, you, it's not fair to say you add on four wins, but when you look at the games and you watch them drive by drive, it was obvious that the Jets could have been in some of these games late in the game or even won some games if they had a secondary. Let's make something very clear here. When Rex Ryan was his team's head coach, he was 30 minutes from a Super Bowl twice with Mark Sanchez as the team's starting quarterback. If Ryan Fitzpatrick can give you Average numbers. Look what he did last year. He was 6-6 six and six as a starter, 17 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. That's not bad. And what was available out there, you can argue that Ryan Fitzpatrick was the best guy available. And I, I believe that. I really do. If he can come in here and manage the football game, That's it. it's going to be tough to score points on this Jets defense. Because think about what they had in 2009 and 2010. As good as those defenses were, they didn't have the defensive line that the Jets have right now. Rex never had a Wilkerson in his prime. He never had a Sheldon Richardson. He never had a Damian Harrison up front. Todd Bowles, who plays a very similar scheme, a lot of cover one, a lot of man-to-man corners, you put your secondary on the line, and that pass rush is going to have time to go to work on the quarterbacks. It's really an ideal well, fit, think, and it's, it's I, well, it think, really is mind-boggling what John Isaac didn't do a season ago, and Mike McGagan has done everything right well, so far. I think when you look at Rex's tenure as the Jets' head coach, and you look at the defense, it, when the Jets were really good and they went to the two AFC Championship games, their secondary was there, but there was no line. They couldn't rush the passer. Last year, they were able to rush the. They were able to put pressure on the passer. And they were ba- able to rush the. The Jets were, had the six best defense rated in the NFL a season ago. As bad as no, it was, it, you credit Rex because he's a phenomenal defensive coach. But so is Todd Bowles. So you mean to tell me that this team can't be the best defense in the league? I think they really can. You added Darrell Revis. You added Cromartie. You have the defensive line that they just never had. And real quick, 
re-signing David Harris, another good move. And this defense could really be a very, very, very special unit well, that's next what, season. That's what I was saying is when you look, Jake, at the at the defensive line when Rex was when Rex was the head coach, they, they it never was there. They weren't able to consistently rush the pass. Remember how difficult it was every game. You see, you, you saw when they would play the Patriots in 2009, 2010, and how much time Brady would have in the pocket, and how much time all these quarterbacks would have in the pocket. And you wondered, why can't the Jets ever put any pressure on the on the passer? Well, last couple of years, they built that lineup, and they built the pass rush up, whether you talk about Muhammad Wilkerson, Sheldon Richardson, to, to get to the passer, and even stopping the run, and they were able to do it, but there was no secondary last year. There was no secondary at all. They didn't have a true cornerback on the roster. And now you look at it just a season later, and you think it's going to all come together when you talk about adding Cromartie, adding Revis, adding Gilchrist, adding Screen, and then obviously bringing back David Harris, and then you talk about the guys up front. But I want to make a point is this. Mark Sanchez and Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think when you look at the play that Ryan Fitzpatrick did last year, Mark Sanchez in 2009-2010, very comparable. I think it's very comparable numbers. But when you look at the receivers that the Jets have now and the offensive weapons they have now, I think it is much better now than it was when the Jets went to two AFC championship games in 2009 and 2010. I think they have better weapons. I think Brandon Marshall is a better receiver than San Antonio Holmes, and I think Eric Decker is a better receiver than Braylon Edwards when he was with the team. And I think at tight end, there's an improvement with Jason Morrow than anything they had. And the Jets have never had these type of weapons, Dan. They've never had a Brandon Marshall. they never had an Eric Decker. No. And Eric Decker was a very good player for them last year. Now he's the number two guy. Brandon Marshall is not to mention Jeremy Curley. Is a prototypical number one wide receiver, and you mentioned Curley. Him in the slot is going to provide something. The depth at wide receiver, the depth at the skill positions the Jets have not had. And then it comes to what do you do at number six? But for right now, they improved at quarterback, which they had to do. They needed to get someone better than Geno Smith, and so far, they did that. Anyone that tells me that Geno Smith is better than Ryan Fitzpatrick just has not watched enough of Geno Smith or enough of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick, Don't get me wrong. Fitzpatrick is not a Hall of Famer. He's not Tom Brady. He's not Peyton Manning. But he's a serve serviceable NFL quarterback that's had success in Chan Gailey's offense. And, of course, Chan Gailey was brought in here to run his offense. And that spread system he he runs, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick put up some really good numbers in that system. And when he was playing in Buffalo with Chan Gailey, he never had a Brandon Marshall. He never had an Eric Decker or a Curley, as we just talked about. So there's no reason to me why, as bad as the Jets were a year ago, they can't turn it around and try and compete for a playoff spot. There's no reason. The past three head coaches in their first year t- since after they relieved the previous coach, whether it was Herm Edwards, then Eric Mangini, then Rex Ryan, each one of them went to the playoffs in their first year. It can be done. You see it all the time in the NFL, a team going from 4-12 and to 10-6 and right in the playoffs. I agree. I, I think the Jets have addressed a lot of the needs they have, and I, I you got to like the direction Mike McGagan's going because he looks at it like this. You know, I think John Idzik looked at it when he took the job, and it was he 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 took the approach was, you know what, we have money, we we have the cap room. This was last year, obviously, and he said, you know what, let's let let's try to build something here over the last couple of years. It really backfired, and I think in the National Football League, it's a win now type of league, and it's not the type of you know, the NFL is not the type of league where a GM could come in and build a team for five years before they're a contender. It's not baseball. You know, there's no minor leagues here. You, you build through the rounds of the draft and, the, and see if the guys are immediate impact players. Or you use free agency. And, and in John Isaac's tenure, they didn't do either of that. Already in Mike McGagan's tenure as Jets general manager, he has utilized the cash they have available, utilized the cap room space they have available, and addressed the major needs in free agency. And you know, a lot of people say, oh, you can't build a winning team through free agency. 
That's bull. You can build a winning team. You can you can address major needs in free agency, and the Jets have done that so far. You this need to season. hit in the draft, but you need to find guys in free agency that fit your scheme. And you know what, Darrell Rivas and Antonio Cromartie, I've seen them play in Jet uniforms. Yeah. They fit the scheme. They fit what Todd Bowles is trying to do. And you know what, the bottom line is, there's no way to fix the quarterback position overnight. You're not getting a Peyton Manning as a free agent. That just doesn't happen that often. That hap- that was a one time thing. You're not. And I made this point to you off the air before, Dan. Look at the teams in the NFL right now. Other than the Saints, who got Drew Brees, and they got lucky coming off an injury, and you look at a team like um, uh, you look at a team like Denver with Peyton Manning. Of course, you're not just acquiring a franchise quarterback. That doesn't just happen. You need to draft the guy, and you know what? Ryan Fitzpatrick is a good stopgap option. And if the Jets want to make a run at Marcus Mariota on April 30th, the night of the draft, and he's there, and they have to trade up or he falls to them. You take it because you're never going to pick six again. The Jets will not be picking sixth in the draft next year. I They're agree. going to be a significantly better team. So if there's a chance he could be the franchise quarterback, you go after him. But as far as the strict offseason moves that McGagan has made, he's done everything right. And for people to say, oh, what does it matter? Who's throwing the football? You know what? The bottom line is you need to build a football team. Seattle, they had the team in place and they found the quarterback. You could find the quarterback, but you have to have the team in place. Because you know what? If you don't, then you're the Dallas Cowboys. Year after year, you're average. They finally had the team in place. They won 12 games and could have beat the Packers and went to the NFC Championship. Almost. They almost did. And if, that, if it wasn't for a certain Des Bryant catch being overturned by technicality, then they'd probably win that football game and they're going to the NFC Championship game. So my point is this. as For everyone to say, oh, what are they, who's throwing the football? Who's the quarterback? You know what? Rome wasn't built one day. You have to find players to fit your scheme to build a football team. I agree. And you know what? If the Jets could build a football team, which it looks like Mike McGagan is doing so far, you could still win. And if Ryan Fitzpatrick, you said it, he's pretty comparable to Mark Sanchez, isn't he? I think if he could be decent with these weapons and, and Chan Gailey's offense, the Jets could be a playoff team. Don't be surprised. I, no, and I wouldn't be at all. And I think if the Jets have that number six pick and Marcus Mariota's there, I would take Marcus Mariota. And that's and you know what? That's not saying, oh, well, then he's going to start right away. I don't think he, he necessarily – he doesn't need to play right now. Who's better to teach him than a guy that's played in this offense, I agree. had success, and is a Harvard-educated man no, in Ryan I, Fitzpatrick? I absolutely he agree. He doesn't need to play. I think, if, I think a great situation for, for Marcus Mariota, and I think the only real situation for him and probably the best situation he could fall in into as going from a guy that was out of the gun mostly in college, never really was under center, and not really a prototypical pro quarterback, quote-unquote, coming into the draft, is sitting for a year behind a Ryan Fitzpatrick if he were to come to the Jets. Everywhere else he gets drafted, he's going to play right away. Let's be honest here. I think the Jets is the perfect fit for And Marcus you know what? Mariota. Even if he goes to the Jets, if he wins the starting job, fine, let him play. Yeah. But you know what? He doesn't have to play if he goes to I the agree. Jets. When you I make agree. him, If Geno Smith was here, Mariota would play. But you know what? Ryan Fitzpatrick is a veteran journeyman quarterback that's used to being on teams. He's in his fourth team in his fourth year here in the league. The bottom line is the guy is a good NFL quarterback. He's not great. He's not spectacular. He's solid. He can win you games. He's inconsistent, but he's a solid NFL quarterback that if you put the right pieces around, you could win with. And by bringing in Revis, by bringing in Cromartie, by signing a Gilchrist, by re-signing David Harris, by doing the moves that the Jets have made that they just didn't do under John Isaac, they're a better football team than they were a week ago. Absolutely, they're a better football team. And I think one thing I think is is clear by the day and by the Fitzpatrick move and the other moves they made, just because you you, you show you want to win now with some of these moves, like we mentioned, Cromartie, Revis, Gilchrist, Scrine, uh, I think it, it, it just goes to show you that Geno Smith will not be the Jets' starting quarterback on opening day. North Shorty, what has Geno Smith shown you in his two years 
to hand him a third season. I've seen enough out of Geno. We spent a lot of time talking about it, but I think Ryan Fitzpatrick will win the starting job if it's between Geno and Fitz. And if a Mariota quarterback is on this roster, Mr. Marcus Mariota, who have an opportunity to compete for the job, I'm sure, but I would sit him for a year. I would let him learn under Fitz. I think so, too. And you know what? If Fitz struggles, at least you have a guy that could turn out to be your franchise quarterback in the future on your bench. Absolutely, because I think when you if you go into the season with Fitzpatrick and Geno, which is what it is right now, and who knows, I still think they're going to make another move for a quarterback, whether it's a backup or uh, or someone else. I, I do not think that they're going to go into next season with Geno as the backup, because what if Fitzpatrick is bad? Then Geno comes back and you have no hope. Because Gino, we know what Geno Smith is. I think it's fair to say you mentioned it a second ago. Geno Smith is a, is a below average to bad NFL quarterback. He, he just is not smart he's too, enough. He's too, inconsistent. he's too inconsistent. For a team that needs to run the football and get it to playmakers, you can't have your guy and not only that, turn the ball over. How about a guy that, that people have questioned his work ethic? Last year, not showing up to meetings. That's not the type of guy you want running your franchise. No, I've seen it. We, we've talked about it, that nauseam on this program. I'm disgusted with watching Geno Smith play. I don't think he's ever going to be a great NFL quarterback. And Ryan Fitzpatrick isn't, but at least we know what he is. You know, he only had eight interceptions last year. Geno Smith had like 15 and, and more games I played. I mean, look at this. The Jets. Yeah. And an additional four games. And Geno Smith was benched for a bunch of games, too. No, absolutely. And I think Geno, if G, you look at Geno Smith, has done, thrown double the amount of interceptions in two years, and he has thrown touchdowns. He's thrown 40, touch, 40 inter- interceptions in two years. Close to it. He's been awful. Geno's been awful. He's been absolutely awful, and I think it's tough to, to, to throw him back in there as a starting quarterback for your fan base, especially when you make moves to show that you want to win now, and he's clearly not the type of quarterback that you can win now with or win it all with in retrospect. I don't think Geno Smith is the type of guy that can lead a franchise. I don't know if he's tough enough. I don't know if he has the mental toughness. I don't know if he has the work ethic to be a franchise quarterback. And let's talk about some other things going on in this wacky offseason. Oh, crazy. We, crazy. We, absolutely insane. We missed the wrong week last week. We would love to have done a bunch of different type of shows, but we just didn't have the opportunity to do so, so we'll touch on some things that happen now. Chip Kelly is a madman in Philadelphia, Dan. Let me tell you, bringing in Sam Bradford, trading Nick Foles, signing DeMarco Murray. We we, we did the show about LaShawn McCoy for the Kiko Alonso trade. We touched on that before, but the Eagles, I think they've improved as a team, but he's taking a lot of risk when you trade a Jeremy Macklin, your number one receiver, and you trade your number one running back. I do like what they did with Murray. I think Murray's a good player, but running backs, you never know. He t- Murray's taken a beating the past couple seasons. A lot of money. And he hasn't been able to stay healthy other than last year. You gave him a lot of money. Ryan Matthews, injury prone, but he's a good back when he's healthy. Brian Maxwell, you gave him a lot of money. But you know what? The Eagles have improved, but the big question remains, is Sam Bradford really going to be their quarterback? And is he an upgrade over a Nick Foles or a Mark Sanchez? Well, I don't think he is. And I, I think if you just look in the minimal amount of of action you've seen Nick Foles in, you saw a lot of success. And, and people, you know, Sam Bradford, number one overall pick, the guy can't stay healthy. But when he's been healthy, he's been okay. He hasn't been great. Nothing special. Nothing I would say, I want to get that guy to be my starting quarterback. And I think the Rams really got a great deal. The Rams really got a great trade because they got they were really, let's be honest, the Rams the last couple of years were the type of team where you say, wow, if they had a quarterback in place, they could be a playoff team and give some teams a run for their money in the NFC. That defense is phenomenal. That de- and you add Nick Foles, who, let's be honest, Nick Foles wasn't great and last year. You but know what's crazy hurt. about that trade, Dan? They got a second-round pick in the deal. No, it was, an, it if was you a said phenomenal to me, trade If you said to me what team would get the second-round pick, it would obviously be, oh, well, Philadelphia is getting it because they're taking on the worst quarterback. Philadelphia gave up a second 
second round pick, and, and they commi- pick up a con- a, a, a member, a big contract, a thirteen million dollar guaranteed guarantee contract. Because uh, Sam Bradford's rookie year was the last year before they put the restrictions on rookie contracts. So he's got thirteen million dollars owed to him this year, and that's a lot of money for a guy who really has never been healthy in his entire career, so college n- or the yeah, national. And now, if you're the Eagles, you have Mark Sanchez as your backup, and that that offense under Sanchez still excelled and had thirty two points a game. Sam Bradford, you have him for a year, or is Chip Kelly still all in on Marcus Mariota? I don't know. I think that they're going to go in with Sam Bradford. I just don't see a scenario where they unload all their picks to trade up and try and go after a Marcus Mariota. But listen, at the end of the day, if Chip Kelly is wrong and the Eagles regress this season, he's going to be run out of town because he's getting lit up in Philadelphia right now. Eagles fans are very skeptical of some of his strategies. But listen, you're all in with Chip Kelly right now. You gave him control. You're going to let him do his thing. Sam Bradford, though, if he's healthy, I think he could succeed in Chip Kelly's offense. But so many question marks with his injuries. He's never and, been healthy. And it, it, it's, it's the a The shoulder, it's, it's the, a big the knees. He's never been healthy, Sam Bradford. And when he has been, his success in St. It's Louis very was limited, ve- very, very minimal. Limited. Very minimal success in St. Louis. So that's why I don't say, wow, great move. Great move by uh by the by the Eagles here and and then, and then a thing came up that well they could get a first they got they were offered a first round pick for Bradford but then there was reports that St. Louis was offered a first round pick by Cleveland for Bradford and I wouldn't get that move either I don't know how you can give first round value to Sam Bradford who has not lived up to the the first overall pick value that he was just 4 years ago so that's why I don't, I don't really get that I, I don't really understand why teams are valuing Sam Bradford so high. I really don't understand it for a guy that like I said before has had a lot of injuries in college and at the pro level and his success hasn't been that great at the pro level. So I don't understand why teams are valuing Sam Bradford like they are. I think he's a nice quarterback. If you could get him for the right deal, I would say yeah, take a flyer on him, but to pick up 13 million dollars on a guy who is really unproven I don't know why the Eagles would take that risk. I'd rather go in. I'd because, rather because now you're committed to paying that for this season. But I hurt your cap, and I'd rather go into the season with Sanchez and Foles than Sanchez and Bradford. I would too. So that's why I, Chip I just Kelly's the only one who doesn't think well, that. I, that's why some of the moves Chip has made, especially at the court, and, and he talks very highly of Sam Bradford. Obviously, they made the move for him, but I just, I, I mean, I just don't get it. What he said about Sam Bradford that kind of puzzled me is if he wasn't hurt, teams would love him. Teams would want him. But he is hurt. He, he's torn his ACL twice. That's yeah. a big question mark for a guy that is going to play in a system where it requires you to move around. Why do you think the Rams traded around. him? I think, why do you think the they Rams— They drafted him first overall. The Rams traded him, I think, because they realized hey, this guy has a lot of trouble staying on the field. And, you know, they look at him—remember, these teams, they look at Sam Bradford every day, even when he was healthy, taking snaps in practice, how good he was actually be. If they really love Sam Bradford—and, Jake, you know this. If teams really love a quarterback, they don't trade him. They don't trade. You don't them. trade guys that you think are your franchise. And when you take a guy with num- when you take a guy with a number one overall pick, and three years later you trade him, something so- obviously the Rams, who have been with him since the beginning of his pro career, don't feel he's the guy. No question about that. And we'll move on to another big move that happened. That I think it's just an outstanding move for the Seahawks. And what does it mean for the Saints? Jimmy Graham got dealt in the middle of this free agent madness. They unloaded him to Seattle. They got back a first round pick. And they got back uh, the good center, Max Unger, who's a very good player. But the Saints just unloaded arguably the second-best tight end behind Rob Gronkowski in football. And that's a very surprising move, but I think it's a home run for Seattle. Seattle was due to pick 31st in this year's NFL draft. And they you could always find another center. 
you can't find a, a tight end like Jimmy Graham. And I you know agree. what? You're not getting a better player at 31 than Jimmy Graham. And Russell Wilson has a massive target to really open up that offense in addition to having Marshawn Lynch run run through people. So what a move for Seattle. If it was possible for them to get even better, they got better with that move. I agree. I think it was a phenomenal move for Seattle. I think one thing that was really apparent through this last year and even through the playoffs is they really didn't have that big target for for Russell Wilson to throw to, that big body target, and they got it. They got a guy that you could just throw a ball, throw a jump ball to, and have him get up and get it. He's a phenomenal tight end. He's physical. He's a great route runner. He's everything you want in a tight end in 2015. Phenomenal move. I think it, it puts Seattle back, you know. It, you as know, good as anyone. As it, and as bad as Seattle fell in the Super Bowl, and as tough it was. They were right there. They are right there again. They yep. As tough as it was, as 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 cringing as that was to see them lose the Super Bowl in the fashion they did, you got to feel good if you're a Seahawks fan. No you question. Had the best tight end in football. Well, the arguably. one thing that you could say about Seattle, their outside receivers weren't great. They were okay. Kirsch is a good receiver. Russell Nothing Wilson. Great. They didn't have any. They didn't, Baldwin's a solid receiver. They didn't have anything great. Jimmy Graham is a great tight end, and He's he phenomenal. and he allows your offense to have a totally different dimension. You can't stack the box if you could just throw one on one to Jimmy Graham against Marshawn Lynch. If they're stacking the box against Lynch, Graham's going to be open. Who guards him? You can't, Who guards? He's there's two tight ends in football that are unguardable: Rob Gronkowski and Jimmy. And Jimmy Graham's stats they tailored off of the end, but that Saints team was so bad last year. They have an offensive line, and that, that's what it really I think is more than anything that's what happened. And Drew Brees was very frustrated. It was just a bad year. Jimmy Graham on a new team, a fresh start. I think he's going to be a home run. I think he's. I think it's a great move by Seattle. I think Pete Carroll. Is going to be able to utilize him in the offense. And you know what? Russell Wilson just became a better quarterback because of Jimmy Graham being on his team. He's that, Jimmy Graham is that good. And that this, this brings me into another situation when you talk about this, the New Orleans Saints is it looks like they're trying to maybe rebuild a little bit, but it's very tough to rebuild a team around a 36-year-old quarterback. And, and that's why I think they're that, trying to retool. Well, I, and well, trying to look at the amount of running backs they but, signed. But what, I, but what I understand, you're, you're, trying, run the you're, you're trying to retool, but you think when you look at this team, you know, from the outside in, from the outside looking in, you know, a few months ago, you say, oh, if you're trying to retool, you retool the team around Jimmy Graham and and Drew Brees. I didn't think Jimmy Graham would be a guy on the market. I mean, Jimmy Graham is just that big of a difference maker. It was such a, a surprise when it I heard a about huge that. Surprise. This was when Schefter tweeted that because for quick, quick tidbit, for those of you who don't are not on Twitter. And don't follow Adam Schefter. You're missing out. The guy gets everything. And subscribing to him during NFL free agency, just phenomenal. You're getting things like this. Your phone's blowing up. There's news happening every second. He was all over every single story. And when I saw that that text alert I got, it was, it was it was, I couldn't believe it. I had to do a double take. I'm like, really? That was right after Nick Foles got traded. So this all happened at once. And, you know, the free it's agency a, this year. a phenomenal move for Seattle. It, it was wild. And Once again, though, great move for Seattle. And, Anything else really stand out in you during this offseason? A lot of a lot of players left, but th- was there anything else that hit you and said, you know what, I like that move, or I didn't like that move? Um, well, I thought again with Philadelphia, just because they've been so there's been so much going on with them. I don't, you know, the McCoy trade. You know, yes, they get Kiko Alonso. He's coming off an injury. I I I like. I really think I rather have McCoy than um. I'd rather have McCoy than Murray. I think McCoy, but obviously, I think there was an issue with McCoy and Chip Kelly. There was a uh, an ego issue, so that's why they shipped they shipped McCoy out. I thought that was a very interesting move, a very surprising move, also. 
But outside of that, I mean, I, I, then I was surprised they went out and spent the money on Murray. Honestly, I did not think uh, originally when they traded. Uh, well, because ma- McCoy, people made it seem like that the McCoy move was about money, but then they went and got and so spent cl- and spent nine so million a year on a running back. Ego issue yeah, there were some on. issues. But outside of that, I mean, and the Jimmy Graham move, I think, is the biggest surprise by all. I would say the Jimmy Graham move is is the move that I said, wow. And I, and I think, I'll give you a move I really liked. Very under the rated, uh, un- underrated move. It's a typical move from this this organization. I really like what the Giants did with Shane Vereen. I think mm-hmm. he's perfect for a Ben McAdoo quick pace offense. Vereen running those wheel routes that he always would run against the Jets and score touchdowns with. That's nice that would move. be very nice. Manning hooking up with him. I think it's a good move for the Giants. Giants kind of overpaid for a couple special teams guy. I didn't love what they did in that de- in that department, but I do think Shane Vereen will add a nice dimension to this offense. And already he's going to get back Victor Cruz next year and Odell Beckham for a full season, which yeah, is phenomenal. Another team I like what they did. I like what the Colts have done. I like Frank. They had an issue in the running game. The, Col- the Colts are going for it. Yeah, no, no, they Bringing are. in Andre Johnson and, Trent, and a Frank and, Gore. And let's be honest, yep. Trent Richardson was a mistake. They acknowledge he's gone. Uh, you bring in Frank Gore, you bring in Andre Johnson, you know, reteaming them from the University of Miami days, teaming them back up. I think it's a great move. I think you get a little younger receiver. Remember, Reggie Wayne was is really nearing the end of his career. You let him go. And Andre Johnson had 80 catches last year. The uh, guy Andre Johnson play. is still has two or three really good years yeah, left. Yeah, so. and with Andrew Luck throwing bombs down the sideline, the and two of them have, are going to be hooked a, you up. You have a legitimate running back and, in Frank Gore. And, and, you know, Frank Gore's going to be able to take some pressure off Andrew Luck in that offense. And, that, and especially, I think a great running game really helps your defense, too, when you could dominate the time of possession and keep opposing teams' quarterbacks off the field. We saw that with the Jets under Rex in their first two years with Sanchez with that running game with Thomas Jones and LaDainian Tomlinson and Sean Green to an extent. It, it really helps your quarterback out. And Andrew Luck is a phenomenal quarterback, but it adds a different dimension to an offense if you can Absolutely. run the football and then still allow Andrew Luck, who in a couple years is going to be the best quarterback in football, continue to do what he's been doing. Yeah, and you deepen their receiving core uh, a lot. you adding Andre Johnson. I like what they did. Uh, but I, I think, yeah, I, I agree. I think the Giants' Vereen move, I think that was an underrated move. I think the Giants, I think they, they had a need at running back, and they addressed it. And then again, I love what the Jets did. I think the Jets have made moves to obviously make themselves significantly it, 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 better. It's weird because, you know, for the most part, there's always people that are going to criticize anything the Jets do. But it's rare when the majority of people that you follow on Twitter or you read about it in in the media – Actually, say complimentary things about the New York Jets. Yeah, it's, it's rare. It's rare, it's and, rare. and it just you credit Mike McGagan. He's done. A, he's done a great job. Todd Bowles is getting an opportunity to have players that fit his scheme, and the Jets improved at every position. I really think that April thirtieth, the night of the NFL draft, whether the Jets trade back, trade up, or take Marcus Mariota in any type of capacity, it's going to be very exciting. I'm, I'm I'm pumped to see what else happens. Yeah, well, obviously, you know, it's still a lot of things remain to be seen, but, you know, the last 10 days of NFL free agency have been absolutely tremendous. I mean, the moves, there's so many moves. Every five seconds. And just today, we'll talk about week. this move. Greg Hardy signed with the Dallas Cowboys. Well, he's in the prime of his career. You know, $11 million, I think, for a premier, for a premier pass rusher, a premier guy on your defense, I think it's a good move. Obviously, he's had issues before. But all charges are dropped. He's got to, obviously, I don't know exactly the logistics, but he has to get off the uh, commissioner exempt list. So I don't, I don't think he's actually eligible to play right now. I think he has to be reviewed by the commissioner. Obviously, I, I, I assume the Cowboys don't anticipate a problem. They signed him to a one-year, $11.3 million deal because the guy is a phenomenal honest, player. He has a great year. He's going to get a monster deal. At well, the yeah, and that's why he wanted the one-year deal because he knows he's a great player. Just his off-the-field issues is what happened. And listen, Greg Cardi's a disgusting human being for what he did. You know, domestic violence is no place for that ever. And in my opinion, the guy should not be playing football right now. But, but if you could play, you're going to get an opportunity. That's how the NFL works. And the bottom line is Adrian Peterson's going to play again. Um, Ray Rice will get an opportunity to probably play again. And Greg Hardy, listen, 
He's going to get an opportunity, and he certainly did. He's getting paid $11.3 million, and that deal could be worth up to $13 million with the Cowboys. So Dallas had a need at the edge. They signed Greg Hardy. It's a good move from them as long as Greg Hardy can keep his head on straight and be a productive pass rusher. If they, and he adds something to their defense that they missed last year with DeMarco uh, – with, uh, with, with where? They, they missed that pass rush, so to speak. Their defense was good. But I think you add Greg Hardy, and he, you know, he, he he bumps you up by six or seven sacks at least. No question about that. And final football point as we're talking some football a little bit later. We'll give you our March Madness final four picks. We'll give you who we think is winning the whole thing. We'll touch on that in just a little bit. But Dan, big news in the NFL besides free agency was Chris Borland, the 49ers rookie linebacker, announcing he's hanging the cleats up. He's retiring from the NFL after just one season. He was fourth in rookie of the year voting. And he said, quote, I just didn't have an interest in playing in the league anymore. It wasn't worth it to him. And you know what? I commend the guy. That's his personal choice. But it just shows you the NFL is not for everyone. And the dangers of the league, they're going to affect you in your post-playing career. And this guy had a chance to make a lot of money in his career. He was an outstanding player. But Chris Borland's hanging it up, and he's retiring after just one season. Interesting. Uh, really the first guy to really do this, especially a guy that was got a, really a breakout type of year with Patrick Willis down for the 49ers. Looks like he was going to be a bright spot for the 49ers for years to come. Not the case, but I guess some people feel, you know, if you if there you're you know if you don't you know maybe you don't have the passion like a lot of other people, you know you don't want to risk the head trauma, the injuries, and let's be honest, the NFL is a very you could get a very serious injuries. We've seen this before. The head injuries are you know year by year day by day we you know the the, the dangerousness the, the 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 repercussions of the head injuries down the line i mean i mean numerous players i mean look at junior Seau and and just you know and people are afraid of this and i think chris borland was just he's afraid of getting the you know the post concussion symptoms you know, after yeah, he and didn't want to deal with it wesley walker in an article in the daily news that mike lupica wrote says he 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 has pain every single day harry carson's regrets playing football the hall of fame linebacker for the new york giants he says he regrets playing football Listen, football, you can make a lot of money playing it. It's dangerous, and you know that going in. And Chris Borland said, you know what? I don't think this is for me. I've had enough. That's his personal choice. I don't think it's wrong what he did. It's his life. He can live it the way Absolutely. he wants to live it. And you know what? I think that really is the bottom line. I, and But I'll, let me make this point. Anyone that said that the NFL is in trouble or they're losing players and this could be an issue, not even the case. There's always going to be somebody else that's going to want to play and have the opportunity to make the kind of money that you can make playing in the National Football League. Chris Borland won, but he's not the he, it he, he's not going to be a many. I, I well, I mean, this is not just going to people aren't maybe people play different sports. Maybe if you're good at baseball and football, maybe you think about playing baseball instead. But there's always going to be an NFL, and the NFL is always going to be as popular as it is right now. I, and that's the bottom line. I agree, and I think Chris Borland just one of those guys that felt. You know, maybe you know, very cautious guy did not want, did not want to worry about, you know, the last, you know, didn't want to risk the next eight or nine years of his life, you know, to affect the next forty or fifty years of his life, you know, with head injuries and head traumas, and you know, you got to respect the guy for it. It's a, uh, an interesting decision, but I think it's one that he really feels that is going to be best for him, and 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 not just you know for the next eight or nine years, but it's that post NFL career. That post-playing career that has affected all a lot of these guys with the head injuries and 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 the and the the serious head trauma rep- repercussion and you got to hand it to him, Jake. It, it, you know, it's one of those things where you, you like to see a guy make a decision based on health because you know I think a lot of times in the NFL people play maybe sometimes for the wrong reasons, but I think he retired maybe for the right reason. Listen, 
It's his personal choice. No one's making him it's play his in the NFL. Choice. You got to leave it at that. And you know what? Patrick Willis retired at the age of 30. Chris Borland's retiring at the age of 24 after just one season in the league. It happens, but you know what? The guy has a right to do it, and good for him that he wants to get out and he cares about his health. You have to respect that. I agree. You have to respect that because, you know, let's be honest. They're all, you know, it's not like, it's, well, the guy's a wimp. It's, there are serious repercussions to playing in the National Football League when you talk about head injuries. It happens. No it question. Happen. No question about that. So when we come back, Dan, a little March Madness, the final four, the whole thing. Will anyone beat Kentucky? We'll give you our picks right after this. Hi, this is Jim Craig of the 1980 Olympic team. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! And you're listening to Asmund and Now when the sun come up, I'll be there to say what up in the morning. Brush my teeth, find that clip I've been looking for since last night. I feel so caught up. Welcome back to the Asman Budick Show. Jake Asman alongside Dan Budick. We'll talk a little March Madness now. Both both Dan and I aren't exactly the biggest college basketball fans, so we're not going to be frauds on the show and pretend like we know Northern Iowa and all and, and all the matchups or whatnot. But Northern Florida. North, yeah, North, I don't even know. You got Buffalo's in the tournament, though, locally, of course. St. John's is in the tournament. If you're talking about some of the New York teams, Manhattan played, and they, they got beat. But obviously, Dan, the one sixteen matchup of UK and Hampton Coming up on March nineteenth at nine forty p.m. Probably the you know probably the best matchup of the tournament. What? Does Hampton have a chance of beating the Kentucky Wildcats? I, they, they no, they they're a point four point four. So you're saying there's chance. a chance? There obviously there always is, but it, that, Hampton has won their last five games. They finished their seventeen and seventeen. They were twelve and seventeen, and they're facing a, a Kentucky team obviously thirty four and zero. But get this, but get this. Hampton uh, gives up more points than they score. You know, not obviously, uh, and no league to play Kentucky. I think <laughs> you're, you're talking about it. Uh, obviously, a Kentucky win. Uh, yeah. Uh, so anyway, Hampton will not be beating Kentucky. But we're gonna give you our final four picks now. Dan, I'll let you start. Obviously, the whole world has Kentucky. Do you have a team beating Kentucky, or are they going all the way to the final four and potentially? to a national championship as the first undefeated team since the 1976 Bob Knight coached Indiana Hoosiers. I, I do have Kentucky winning. I just, it's very hard to, to pick them losing. Uh, I, my final four, I got Kentucky, UNC, Virginia, Iowa State right now. National Subject to change. And your national championship game? National championship game, Kentucky, UVA, a 1-2 matchup. And Kentucky wins the game 59-51. I have Kentucky winning as well. Until someone beats them, it's I, very hard it's to just, pick against them. It, it, I, can't, I can't tell you a team that's going to beat them. I don't have an allegiance to any team. So just looking at it, I've never seen a team since I've started following college basketball that is just so undisputed. Champion. Undisputed. It's, it's, it's favorited. Everyone thinks they're just by far and away the best team. And obviously the best team doesn't always win in March Madness. In fact, a lot of times they don't always win. But you know what? I just think Kentucky's so much better than any other team out there. Until someone beats them, I'm gonna keep uh, I'm gonna keep picking Kentucky to win. But my final four is Kentucky. I'm gonna say Duke. I have Kentucky and Duke playing each other. I'm gonna go Villanova. A lot of people aren't high on Nova. Wildcats. I think they they get overlooked. And my other team coming out of the West. This was tough for me. I'm gonna go with Wisconsin. I think they're a phenomenal team. I think they do. I really like uh, Kamiski, the seven-footer that can shoot, and that's my final four. But in the end, I think in a fabulous final, 
You're going to be looking at Kentucky over Duke, rematch of the Christian Leitner shot. That uh, For those who watched that 30 for 30 the other night, you know what I'm talking about. And obviously, until someone beats Kentucky, it's going to be hard for me to go against Kentucky. But that's my final four, and it will be interesting to see what unfolds if Kentucky is able to get it done. That's you know that's the storyline here. Can Kentucky go undefeated? It's and Kentucky win against the field. It's Kentucky against the field. Can Kentucky go undefeated and, and win a national championship? That's the storyline here. Very tough to do, but let's be honest. I mean, they are a phenomenal team offensively, defensively. Uh, they do everything right, but it's it's March. It's madness. Who knows why? You know, it, maybe they get upset. Who knows? It, it really is like by Hampton. By. I mean, yeah, by Hampton. I, I don't. Who knows? Dan Hampton's got a phenomenal team. I, they barely even had. I, I know. I know you've watched. I know you've watched a lot of college basketball. Yeah, he's with Hampton. I was very, I was very upset uh, about um about the Temple Owls not getting into the tournament. You used to go there. I did. I very. You know, they got snubbed by the tournament. Uh, very upset, Temple. Also, and, also would have been nice to see Hofstra get into the tournament. Yeah, unfortunately, Hofstra did not, did not win, win their, their conference. Yeah, didn't and, win the CAA. And in local news, Fordham let go of Tom Pecora, the head coach there. And obviously Hofstra um, did not make the tournament, so they go another year without it. Stony Brook had an opportunity to make it. Oh, that's another Almost. local team. Albany's in the tournament for the third straight year, the Great Danes. So they're, they're going to have an opportunity for those who live in the Albany area listening to the podcast. But that's basically about it. It's a field versus Kentucky, and we'll see how it unfolds. We'll do more on March Madness. Well, where's, where's Albany? Throughout here? next week. Uh, I don't know. Let's see where Albany is here in the bracket. I know they have a a matchup in the first round. They're fourteen, I believe. Um, where can I find Albany here? Albany, Oklahoma. That's right. They're playing Oklahoma. Oklahoma's a three, I believe. Yeah. They're a three seed. So Albany's a thirteen, no, which you, is you know a great story is Peter Hooley. He was on Sports Center yesterday. Uh, hit the shot to beat uh to beat Stony Brook last week for the uh for the championship for the for their their conference championship, and they had him on talking about he's from from Australian. He's he's Australian from Australia, so. But obviously a tough matchup, a 14 against a 3 against Oklahoma. So, tough matchup for the Great Danes. So, we'll see how the local teams do. Obviously, it's the field versus Kentucky, as we've been saying. You heard our final four picks. That's going to do it for the show. Follow us on Twitter, at Asman Budick Show, at Dan Budick, at Jake Asman. Thank you to our producers getting this this program on the air, Connor Weingarten helping out today, and Garrett Weinberg. So, we thank them. They're behind the glass doing their thing. We're on Vine as well, so check that out. The Asman Budic Show is on Vine. You'll see it on the Twitter, the whole thing. But once again, thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week. We're working on a big-time interview with some baseball coming up. We're going to do a big baseball show. Season's just around the corner, That baby. will be in the next couple of shows that we plan on doing. We're really excited about that. But once again, Jerome Revis is a New York Jet, and that's all for us. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. So long, everybody. Listening to the Asmund and Budic podcast. Make sure you go on to iTunes and subscribe to the show.